Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this show, I will be joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com, and we will do over-unders in another uh, set of predictions for the Florida basketball season that starts Tuesday night at home in its Tech Arena against the Elon Phoenix. Uh, this was a really fun episode last year, um, and, and we just thought we'd bring it to you again. It was one of our most listened to episodes ever. We got a lot of positive feedback on it. So we hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you for listening. We do apologize for some of the audio on the Mark Wise episode. Uh, just a, a phone call situation where the audio didn't convert quite as well as we uh, had normally hoped. It is fixed for this episode, but we apologize. We'll get Mark back on and make sure you can hear him better uh, next time around. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, we're, we're right on the precipice now of college basketball being back. What's up, man? <laughs> no, it's a good good time of the year, just uh, excitement pouring over. Um, I, I'm trying to decide if on Saturday I'll be watching college football or going through all these you know, YouTube highlights of all these Division II and NAIA uh, exhibitions going on around the country because yeah i feel like i'm just in in total basketball mode and uh very excited for next week so this is good it's great to be talking to you yeah no i in a lot of gator fans might be ready to turn the page to basketball season as well um after last week's collapse at the cocktail party uh but you know i think i think there's a there's a palpable excitement and and Florida playing an exhibition game that, that some of us got to see, uh, whether it was on TV or in person and looking pretty good, at least in the second half in the process, I think uh, probably got people's juices flowing a little bit. Oh, I think whenever you can see the the Gators out there and wearing orange and blue playing at the O-Dome, you're, you're going to start to uh, take it pretty seriously. And again, we saw how seriously some people took it on Twitter where uh, you know, brief defensive lapses to make it, you know, 14, 13 or whatever in the first minutes of the game Had some people, you know, saying we're destined for the NIT or whatever. So um, yeah, definitely some, some overreactions, but uh, you know, at the same time, like I, I know that people say stuff about exhibitions, especially against non division one opponents. And they say, you know, if, if anyone has a take to it, no, no matter what, there's always a response of, Oh yeah. Like don't, don't overreact to an exhibition. And I like kind of get what they're saying. There is definitely overreacting to an exhibition, but I don't think that having a take regarding something that happened in an exhibition is inherently an overreaction. I think it's fair to react. I obviously don't think it's fair to overreact, but um, there, you know, it's. I think it's fair to have some takeaways. So I, I know you got into that on on the last uh, the last podcast that that hopefully people have listened to, and if not, you can certainly get to that one before before this one. But uh, yeah, you know, just seeing seeing Gators in orange and blue at the Odom, uh, yeah, it makes you it makes you pretty excited. One thing I didn't get into, Eric, was uh, that Florida signed another player since we last recorded. Well, they received another commitment since we last recorded, and it's another top 100 player for this uh, Florida class. And Jalen Reed, who's uh, a 6'10 forward, kind of a – honestly, kind of a, a point forward, really, um, when you watch him on, on film. Certainly somebody that can potentially bring the ball uh, – up at least in transition. I don't think he's playing point guard for anybody, but um, you know, a guy that has, that has some handles that has the athletic ability to, 
to blow by you and score. Um, just, you know, one thing you notice about him is that he's just super fluid. Um, and when he gets the ball, he's kind of committed to getting downhill and, and going towards the basket. Um, I think he shoots his shooting form is pretty good. I don't know anything about his percentages and, and certainly would be misstating it. If I said that, that I did, uh, he can finish with both his right hand and his left hand. And he's got tremendous basketball genes. His late father uh, was an all sec basketball player at Ole Miss. So your thoughts on uh, Jalen Reed, who Florida at least thought highly enough of the back off chance Westry is at least the information I have. Yeah, I, I, I think he looks fantastic. I mean, the, the first thing that struck me, and I was talking to Jake Winderman about this, and we came to like the exact same name right away. Uh, he looks a lot like Jackson Hayes, um, someone who like both the way he plays and, and also just like physically, like the first thing that really strikes you is he's got like an NBA body with his length and his like, you know, narrow waist and, and wide shoulders and, and just his, his bounciness and, and his fluidity. There's a, there's a lot to him. That's very NBA looking forward. And I, I think something that, uh, that you mentioned that I would have to uh, totally agree with is he does look like someone who could be a little bit of a point forward. And I, I don't say that necessarily like you were saying, it's not like you're, you're thinking he's going to bring the ball up the floor and initiate offense. But I, I think it's going to be another example of why you can't just line players up one to five in terms of like, here's the shortest, he's your point guard, and here's your tallest, he's your center. Because I look at, you know, Malik Renault and I look at, you know, Reed, and I actually think that like, while Renault is a little bit smaller, I actually think he's more of the center just with his skill set and his interior footwork. And I see Reed as a little bit more of, a, of, of the power forward, even though he might be, you know, two inches taller and longer. So, so skill set wise, yeah, I think he's uh, someone who I hope the Gators are able to, to play at the four a little bit. And uh, it's partially due to a shooting stroke that looks pretty good. I couldn't really find any numbers on it, but you know, it, it looks good. And right now I'm, I'm, when you look at high school players, I'm far more concerned with are their mechanics good than what's the percentage they go in. So uh, yeah, just a player that I, I honestly didn't know a lot about until the last couple of weeks where, you know, it's started to heat up that he was a Gator and just really enjoyed getting into his film recently. And uh, someone that I'm very, very excited for in a class that I'm now very, very excited for. Yeah. And I've had a lot of questions about whether Florida will, will take another high school player. And I think it's possible um, But you know, what I've been told is that it would likely be a guard um, at this point that they, like the balance that they have right now. Um, and I do think that the other thing is we anticipate them hitting the portal for a point guard um, and probably attempting to hit the portal for offense in terms of a shooting guard too. And if they do that, then maybe you don't sign someone, but I, I don't think anybody could be not excited to look at this class and say, it's not exciting. It's now very firmly in the top 20 in the country um, with the addition of Jalen Reed. So I think that's a, a really good place to be for Eric Pastrana and Akimis Dean being here for just a couple months. Um, really impressive uh, work from the two of them, you know, and I agree. That's a great point on sort of the difference between Jalen Reed and, and Malik Renau. And I've been thinking about that as I've been writing a lot of ACC previews for uh, a new Saturday down South website. And I'd like, Notre Dame is a team that has a situation a lot like that with Nate Lasuski, who is very clearly a center, and Paul Atkinson, who doesn't have to be a center. Um, and, you know, not 
Now, neither of them have the athleticism of her now and Jalen Reed. It's not a like for like, but certainly from a skill set standpoint, you know, where Paul Atkinson can really play underneath the hoop. He's got great footwork and is a good passer, but he's perfectly comfortable 20 feet away from the basket too. Um, just because he passes so well and he shoots so well and has such nice touch. So I think, you know, that's, that's the thing about modern basketball now is, as you're pointing out, Eric. Definitely. And, and, and again, if someone were to, you know, not be insanely excited about the class, I guess it's because they don't have that five-star one and done guard. That's going to fill it up. Like, I don't think the Gators have like necessarily a quote unquote star coming in, but uh when you've got a really good, you know, two fantastic looking front court prospects and uh, a really versatile uh, guard in Denzel Aberdeen, that's a fantastic passer, mature playmaker, great defender. It's like, get those guys in and, and you can find that, that volume score in the portal um, we think, or maybe it's like, you know, Tyree Appleby selling so much of his merch at Florida and he looks at his kind of outlook and he decides he's coming back or, you know, something like that. So uh, we'll see, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just very excited for the, for this, class and when it comes to are they going to bring in another high school player i just think we've kind of seen that the last two years if they like high school players they'll bring them in if they don't like them they won't so if they like a player then i wouldn't shock me at all if they bring them in and i know some people would be like oh but you want to leave room for the portal it's like well it's it'll <laughs> it'll work out i promise um it always does so it's like if they if they like high school players they'll keep bringing them in and if they don't like high school players we'll see it like last year where they had one player in the class um, up until, you know, very late. So uh, I, I don't really know if they're going to bring in another player, but I know there's still players they're after. And I know that there's still players on the board that, um, you know, that I like in my, my limited view of seeing them. So uh, we will see, but I think largely speaking, it's nice that if they don't take any more high school players, they know they have a great class. So they can really just focus on this season, this group of guys, and they won't have to worry about, you know, what they were doing for Reed, which was, multiple coaches flying to Los Angeles uh, to both be a game. So um, hopefully they don't have to do that as much now because they are, they, they have a bunch of their guys and uh, they can really focus on making this year's team as good as possible. Yeah. And I think we saw with Elijah Kennedy playing just two minutes against Embry Riddle, they obviously think he's somebody that'll come along a little slower. So you can almost add him to sort of this, uh, this group and say, Really what they're doing is bringing in four young players, except that Kennedy is the one who's already on campus, Eric. That's right. I mean, hey, uh, I, I I forget exactly how it works with, uh, with uh, you know, Toon Gatkick playing his junior college year last year. I, I think that those junior college players get their eligibility back as well. But so, so, hey, I mean, I think he's technically a freshman this year. He could technically... Uh, he could technically redshirt, and then suddenly you've got Toon Gatkick technically a part of the class as well. So I mean, uh, there there's a front court for you, Toon Gatkick alongside alongside Reed and um, Rindo. So and, and again, even if he ends up you know using his year of eligibility, we know in modern basketball there's not a lot of guys that are sticking around for four years anyway. So you might as well kind of start like you know quote unquote blending these classes together a little bit that are a year apart from each other. Especially if uh, fourth year junior. Next year, Jason Jatobo sticks around. Um, you got a lot of girth and different style players in that front court if, if uh, you're Mike White and the Gators next year. Um, but we're going to focus on this year for now. And I think probably my favorite show last year was the Over Under show. Uh, I even enjoyed it a little more than 
Like, I guess I enjoyed it a little more than the post Virginia tech pod, Eric, just because the post Virginia tech podcast seemed like there was so much noise um, sort of around the program last year by March. It was just exhausting. And like, all I felt for like that one day between the Virginia tech game and the oral Roberts game was relief. <laughs> like I didn't have to do a show about them losing to Virginia tech at the NCAA tournament. And I was like, but this was this was fun over unders. All right. Well, this year we do have a couple upgraded categories, um, a little more variety. Um, the backstory of over unders is I straight ripped it off from the Gators Breakdown podcast because I think it's really good every year um, with David Waters and uh, does that and they um, they do over unders before every year and it's sacks and all that and I think it's just a really good episode. So I was like, hey Neil, I want to blatantly rip that off. Um, so this year I've I've added a couple different categories. So there's also just some straight superlatives, straight like you know, who is going to lead the Gators in this pretty straightforward. There's also some over-unders, a couple of them, Neil, instead of asking you over-under, I'll just say better or worse. There was a little bit of confusion last year when it was like, are the Gators going to be better or worse than 75th in Ken Palm's steal percentage? And it's like better or worse is like kind of confusing as to, are they going to be better? So I think I'll just say like, oh, are they going to be better or worse in a couple of categories? And then there is uh, going to be a fresh kind of category at the end um, that I'll let you know when we get there. But um, just so people know, I have made all the questions, so I have the advantage. I, I I really did my best to like set the questions, set the line if needed as good as possible, but then not like think too hard about it because I didn't want to, you know, overthink it or have too much of an advantage over Neil. But uh, just I, I more want people to know that Neil has not heard these questions. Um, there's not really trick questions, so it's not like he's going to be, you know sideswiped by any of them um but uh neil will be reacting to these for uh for the first time and uh i think last year of course um they didn't end up being great just because i think we had keontae johnson leading a lot of statistical mm. categories we had the outlook of the team based on if he was playing so I, I think we maybe ended up with a draw i don't even remember but uh this year it should be a clear winner um, based off this category at the end so if anyone has any ideas of what the winner should get or punishment for the loser um <laughs> The, the show's DMs are are, are open, yeah, but uh, here we go, Neil. Um, we're going to start off with one that is pretty straightforward and from last year's questions. Um, so the Gators last year were 88th in the country in average possession length. Do you think they will be faster or slower than 75th in the country this year? I'm going to say slower. Um, and not because I think it'll be much different than last year, but, you know, and again, that don't want to read too much into Embry Riddle. Uh, don't want to read too much into 22 fast break points. Um, you know, and I wonder if their ability to turn people over a little more uh, will result in some quicker possessions. But I think that number ends up staying right around that. And one reason I think that is that I do think they'll have more three-man action, off-ball screening type stuff going on um, with the ball and less direct pick and roll and rescreen. Um, and so sometimes that off-ball screening takes a little longer uh, to develop, which could slow down their half-court possessions, even if um, they kind of balance out some of that with more fast break, transition, turnover type buckets, Eric. 
I did not factor in the potential changes to offense into my guess. Um, so that's really smart of you. I was actually thinking that I was gaming the system, just thinking not about even just how fast well, does Florida want to play, but um, how fast is the SEC and how fast do SEC, SEC teams usually allow teams to, to go. Um, so I do think the Gators will be faster. And I think that that'll make um, this, that would make the Gators the, the that would make this team the the fastest possession like team, the Mike White era. I think if ever a time this, you know, maybe could be it. So um, we will see. That's actually a lie. The uh, elite eight team, I think was, was faster than that. I think they were in the sixties or something. So um, maybe this team's faster, but I did set the over under at 75th. Um, the next question, um, another classic um, Ken Palm defensive defensive efficiency. Do you think the Gators will be better or worse than 21st? So, I'm going to go better uh, because I think they'll be between 15 and 20. Um, and not, I know Eric told little Eric has not braved the audio on the Mark wise uh, podcast yet, but it was one area that we discussed and, you know, Mark made the point that he thinks there are three things required to be really, really good defensively. Uh, and Florida has had all three in the past but has had really only one of three at times the last three seasons that you have to be really, you have to have good length. Um, you have to have a commitment to playing good defense, um, which, you know, is kind of cheesy and intangible ish, but uh, I do think that there's value to it when you have a bunch of old guys that are former players of the year at mid-major levels. Uh, and then he said, you know, he used a different word for it, but what he was talking about was was scheme and kind of ball screen coverage. By the way, let me shout out the Midnight Domino podcast real quick because they had an interesting discussion with Colin Castleton and Myron Jones about ball screen defense and the distinction and the way that it's different under Mike White than it was in the Big Ten and how Myron Jones was like, I haven't even seen half this stuff before um, in the Big Ten. We'll let you guys decide if that's good or bad after you watch like Florida for the first month of the season. But I think the only area where uh, Florida might have some issues is on the glass. Um, and how much do you think rebounding impacts your ultimate defensive efficiency number? Because if you're giving up second chance points, then you're naturally a little less efficient. I still think they're in that 15 to 20 range. And for the first time in a few years, they get back uh, into the top 25, Eric. Yeah, I think that that seems to be uh... – would be kind of consensus that that the Gators are you know looking to be in that range. A lot of the national media looking at the Gators think that they could be that way, and obviously the coaching staff is is speaking pretty highly about the defense. Um, that that podcast I just thought was hilarious because I just love like th them both being like, man, like the SEC is so much faster than the Big Ten, and like wow, there's like so much more athletic in the SEC than the Big Ten, and um, I mean like your stereotypes of what the Big Ten are in basketball and what the SEC are in basketball are very much confirmed from Myron Jones and Cog Castleton <laughs> talking about the difference, but um, you know, Neil, this is good. I think last year we had a lot of similar answers to a lot of questions. We're already going to go with two different answers because I'm going to go with my maybe hot take that I think that they'll be worse than that defensively. I say hot take because uh, yeah, I think it's kind of consensus that a lot of people think that the Gators will be a top 20 team. Um, I, I think it's interesting to say that you need to have length. I would say that it certainly helps, but I think that length can be substituted for speed at times. And we saw that with like Tyree Appleby in the exhibition. He's not long, but just so fast in the, in the passing lanes that he accomplished 
what length accomplished, but with speed. And the Gators do have some of that. But at the same time, I, I, I think that there's just going to be times where the lineups that that Mike White wants to play are are, are going to be guys like, you know, it's going to be Tyree Appleby and Brandon McKissick and Myron Jones and, and Anthony DeRuji, which Anthony DeRuji played great offensively in the exhibition. I, I still think there was just times where it's just like, man, you're, you're so much more athletic than this division two guy who's six foot six. Um, well, how is he getting by you on the dribble? So I, I still just think there's going to be some of those moments. So I still think the Gators are going to be good. Um, I, I, I just think they might be more like, you know, 24, 25th than 18th or 19th. So, I'm actually going worse, um, but uh, this is uh, going to lead into the next category. Ken Palm offensive efficiency. I've set the number at 24th, Neil, 24th. Do you think the Gators will be better or do you think they'll be worse? So I think they're going to be a little worse. Um, I think they will be top 35 ish, um, just a little worse than last year. And I largely just think if you lose a first round draft pick, um, like they're losing, that that sometimes can can ch- they're trying to do some different things and they don't have like I still don't know who the go-to scorer on the team is um, so I think there are going to be some of these droughts now what I will say is this is probably the hottest take that I'll have on this podcast that they'll be worse than than 24 um, and Eric agreed Mark Wise agreed with Eric on defense he would have had them on the worst side but Mark thinks that they will be the most balanced offensive team that Mike has had um, period, by the way, not just Florida period, uh, Louisiana tech, Florida. Um, he liked the Arkansas comparison that I've made. So I guess I'm kind of in the minority here and thinking that yes, they will be balanced, but I don't know if that necessarily translates into more efficient. That's a good point. Um, and, and I think that the thing about kind of balance is I think that balance is good for the first 35 minutes of the game. And then when it kind of gets down in the crunch time, you, you kind of need that, that one guy who can go get a bucket. Um, so yeah, I would say my hot take, I guess, and this kind of started with the defense and now finishes with the offense is I think that the Gators are going to be worse defensively than people think and better offensively than they think. So I am saying, I do think they're going to be better than 24th. Um, so Neil, this is three questions and three different answers. So this is good. Three different answers. Um, I, I think a lot of it too is like, again, I, I was kind of, I looked at some of the guys with, with big point totals and I said, Oh, they're, they're I don't think that they're going to replicate that in the sec. I also did my, prediction article where I kind of said the numbers that some of the new guys would have. And it's not like they were astronomical numbers, but um, I I do think they're good numbers. And I maybe, again, maybe this is reading too much into Embry riddle, but also just, you know, conversations I've had is it's, it became very clear very quickly that the offense was very changed this year against Embry riddle. And I really liked what I was seeing. I think that the Gators are um, doing a lot of stuff better than they were last year offensively. And I think I'm, I won't go into too much detail now because we have a lot more questions to get through. And I think I'd rather just like have us talk about this after Elon where, you know, can tweet out some film and stuff, but I, I think the Gators schematically will be improved offensively. And uh, yeah, I just kind of, I, I think last year we saw that, you know, we didn't feel like they were like great offensively yet for most of the season, they were doing really, you know, they did really well in Ken Palm, you know, offensive adjusted efficiency. So I think that this uh, will be kind of a similar case where they'll, they'll be better in the metrics than we think, but then also just like overall, I do think they will be significantly better than, than last year offensively. Um, and my, then my one last thing is like, I, I know like Chris Harry was saying that he doesn't think shooting is a strength of the Gators and 
Um, I, I, he's in practice, you know, one ten thousand percent more than than I have been this year. So th- there's obviously good reasons why he has that opinion. But I just, I guess, I would just you know disagree based on what I've seen in the from past performance of these players and think that this is going to be a good shooting team and um, hopefully that helps out. But we will see. So next question is um, defensive rebound rate. Um, the Gators last year were 275th before that 150th before that 313th, then 256th, 193rd, 173rd. So the Gators have not been a good defensive rebounding team under Mike White. They bring in some good defensive rebounders on this team. So the over under, or sorry, well, I'll say better or worse. Will they be better or worse than 150th in defensive rebound rate this year? Um, as you may have just heard, um, 150th is the best number that a Mike White team has ever done. So this is essentially saying, do you think this will be the best Mike White defensive rebounding team or not? So I'm going to go worse. Um, and this is just entirely based on, this is one where I look less at what I thought was going to happen with the roster and more of what I've heard out of accounts of fall camp. Also the, the secret scrimmage with North Carolina, which, um, you know, I'm told it was an excellent basketball game, uh, very, very tight basketball game. And that the reason it was tight wasn't because Carolina made a ton of shots, but just because they clobbered Florida on the glass. Hmm. Um, and then Florida was almost out rebounded. They won the rebounding battle by one against a uh, division two Embry riddle team, missing its best front court player. Uh, those are some things that kind of concerned me. Um, we're going to find out how alarming it is very quick, right? They're going to play Florida State in nine days. So we'll get a pretty good idea of it. Seton Hall does not rebound very well, but Cal does. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if, if uh, Mark Fox can bully ball and muck it up and make that game very fascinating as he was prone to do when he was at Georgia. So – we're going to know a lot more about them from a rebounding standpoint in the next month, Eric, but that's why this show is so fun. So let's see if we have four disagreements because I am going to go worse. I was really on the fence about this one, but I, and again, reading into Embry Riddle, reading into, you know, I guess we're the, the ongoing conversation will be what's an overreaction and what's not. But one of the things that was interesting was CJ Felder not playing that much. Um, so that I would say that changes the kind of rebounding. Looked out of look. shape. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, this is I, I. This is actually gonna maybe come up on another question. But man, when he had like his one dunk blocked by a small guard earlier in the game, and then he had his breakaway dunk, which again, it wasn't like he was going full out, but he barely got the ball above the rim. I, I, I was actually like, is he injured? Is he? So we'll see. Maybe that changes. But again, just looking at what we've seen, and and then also, <laughs> okay, so reading too much into an Embry Riddle exhibition potentially stupid behavior, even stupider, maybe reading into a North Carolina secret scrimmage video that they put on Twitter could be stupider. But I will say a lot of that video, it was like, man, do the Gators look small. Like whether it was front court players, whether it was Garcia finishing over Anthony DeRuji or, you know, Baycott and and Castleton, it was like, man, the Gators look outsized at, at every position. So, and again, it's not like they're playing, 30 games against North Carolina this year, but uh, uh, unlike the defensive and offensive efficiency and the tempo numbers before, like 
this defensive rebound rate, it's not adjusted for quality of competition. So the SEC just having a bunch of, you know, that the Gators won't get any breaks in that metric when it comes to playing teams that are really good offensive rebounders like we see in the SEC. So I, I wanted to say better, but I'm going to have to go worse um, as well with you, Neil. Here's a question um, just from the, just from my heart to yours, Neil, because I know you care about this greatly. Um, the Gators are currently favored by Ken Palm to win every single home game this season. There doesn't look to be any any trap games. So I'm putting the over-under on, on home losses at 3.5. There was three last year only, three the year prior, and then the years prior to that, there was six and then five. So I, I maybe should have given you a chance to pull up the schedule if you want to quickly um, and kind of look at some of the home games and see what you think. But uh, home losses, the over-under is set at 3.5. So I'm going to believe Mike White when he talked this summer at a couple of the Gator gatherings that were virtual about his his comments about home culture and responding to some fans and saying, I get it, and then actually pointing out, hey, it's gotten a little better. Um, you know, like it's not something that, that they're going out and trying to lose a bunch of, of home games. Um, and I would point out that, you know, last year, what, the Missouri game was – at the buzzer, basically. I mean, they were closer last year to, to really running the table than they had ever been before. Um, wasn't like the year prior when they only lost three, but, uh, you know, obviously one of them was a heartbreaker to Kentucky, but Baylor kind of ran them out of their own building. Uh, you know, last year, the only real blowout lopsided home loss was Kentucky, which was horrible. Uh, no reason that that should have happened. But um, then again, Florida was dealing with COVID pauses and all kinds of stuff. So um, I'm going to go under, I, I look at the schedule and I have, despite the rebounding concerns I have, maybe it's just hoping against hope here, y'all. Uh, I'm still thinking that they will catch this Florida state team. And unless like maybe Caleb Mills goes on like a heater and just like makes everything it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, that's all is possible. But yeah, I, look, I look at this home schedule. Every the one thing I'll say is they have a lot of really good teams coming in. But Mike White has basically exerted. I mean, he Bruce Arena should pay him rent because Mike White owns him, and <laughs> Eric Musselman uh, hasn't. You know, Arkansas hasn't won in, in Gainesville in a long time. Uh, so I think when you look at it. You're kind of like, well, where would a home loss be? I, LSU, who knows? The, the word on the street is that the notice of allegations is is going to drop really soon. And, you know, that could be a team that has uh, less to play for. No postseason. Um, Oklahoma State, I think, is really good. I think it's horrible what the NCAA did to them um, because none of those people were involved. Um but, you know, how motivated are they for the SEC Big 12 Challenge when they roll into town? Um, and I guess they'll be motivated because it's a marquee chance to get a road game. But Eric Pastrana knows what they do. It's kind of like one of those matchups where you're like, hey, advantage Florida because we have one of their coaches. <laughs> um, you know, so I kind of look at it, Eric, and I say, well, even if they drop the FSU game, once all of us here on planet Earth survive the Twitter meltdown, like, I just don't know where the home losses come from. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe that's the sign. 
Oh man, we could have a whole podcast about Oklahoma State. It wouldn't really be on brand for the podcast, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of think when they come in, like I, I kind of think for their season, they're going to be on full uh, screw you tour. Um, so I think they're going to be a tough game because I think they're just going to be playing with yes, reckless abandon. Too. But it's also possible, like you said, that they're just like, man, what are we, what are we playing for? Um, but I'm going to go under as well. I'll just add that I think that the last couple of years we've seen the Gators kind of win some games they shouldn't and lose some games they shouldn't have. And that's just because they were young and just kind of their style of play was a little bit more frenetic. I just think with an older team this year, I don't think the Gators are going to steal a ton of games because I don't think they've got that kind of like upside, but I also don't think they're going to lose a lot of games that they shouldn't um, just with that kind of age and experience. So, so I think I'm going to go under as well, just because I don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of those games that I think they could drop, but could very well happen. And maybe they still end up winning more on the road and it's not a huge deal. So this is a game. This is one that I teased on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I kind of made one change um, based off one of the players' minutes in an exhibition and looking out of shape. But um, more three pointers made, just raw three pointers made, no percentages. Colin Castleton, CJ Felder, or Anthony Deruji, who has the most three pointers out of that group? And I'll actually, remind, I'll, I'll actually remind you just so some people are going to say, oh, the Perfect. answer might be easy, easily as <laughs> it's, it's Anthony Deruji. Um, He only attempted 1.43s last game or last season, um, hit like 26% of them. And uh, I'll just for, you know, for context, you know, CJ Felder shot the most threes last, uh, you know, against Boston at Boston College, um, but didn't hit a, a high percentage of them. And then you've got Colin Castleton, who hasn't made a three pointer in his college career. Um, but is has that desire. So those are kind of the three things to juggle is like Deruji being probably on the floor, on the perimeter the most, Felder who's probably hit or who has hit the most threes in his career or Castleton who will be making a focus of it this year. So I want to say Colin Castleton, but I'm going to go with Anthony Deruji uh, because I think it's safer. Um, I, look, the first one Castleton took in the Embry-Riddle game looked terrible. But he caught it, double clutched, thought about it, and it was super wide open. And at, by the time he shot it, I was like, this is not going to be a good shot. Because he just went through five different thought processes of what to do, and there was just not any confidence. But the one he made, he caught, stepped into. It looked good. Like, his form is better than Kerry Blackshear's on those. Um, so, you know, and Kerry took too many of them, I think, but made 30% of them. Um, so I think – you know, let's see. Let's see what happens. I just like Daruji to – I don't think Daruji – you did bring it up on a prior podcast that you think Daruji is a little bit better out there than he shot last year. I, I think he is too. So I think he gets a few more makes this year, Eric, um, on what he does shoot, and that's why he will – I think he'll edge out uh, Castleton. Look, I've got to see C.J. Felder in shape or whatever – appeared to be wrong the other night. I mean, he had a breakaway dunk and it was a layup. Uh, and I was like, man, it's the end of the game, but he hasn't played a ton. I'm like what is going on with that guy? Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to freak out. Maybe he has the flu too. I've heard that the flu is going around mm. um, the football team. Maybe the basketball team had it first, who knows, but um, I'm going to go with, with Anthony Derucci in that trio. Yeah, the question was originally just going to be Colin Castleton or CJ Felder. And uh, 
yeah, just um, maybe this people are just like going to be screaming at me for overreacting to the exhibition. But I was just like, I don't I don't know if I put Colin Castle or CJ Felder. This will be much of a tough decision for Neil. So I did add Anthony Drugy because it is interesting that he only shot 1.4 threes a game last year, which I think will surprise people. I think that people maybe expect that he shot more than that. Very so the kind of quite. Yeah. So the question kind of is, do you think, you know, how many attempts is Drugy going to have this year and how many is Castleton going to have? And I think that we kind of saw against Embry Riddle, just kind of in a similar way to Kerry Blackshear. There's could very well be three times a game where Castleton just has those like wide uncontested straight on threes. And maybe he has even more of those if the Gators try to design a couple more plays for him. And then it's like, but then you've got Anthony Deruji who, you know, that will just find himself in situations on the perimeter where he has open shots. So I actually do think this is going to be really close. I want to say Castleton, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Deruji as well. Um, staying on the topic of three pointers made, um, last year, the Gators hit 6.4 threes per game. Uh, I would say more shooters on the roster this year. So I'm setting the over under at 7.6 made threes per game for the Gators. 7.3. I'm going over. Um, sorry, sorry, 7.6. I just maybe just said that wrong. 7.6. That's fine. No, I'm going for, I'm going for over still. Uh, and I think it's going to be closer to nine. I'm not saying that they're turning into to NATO. It's Alabama. Um, but I like 33s. I hope they take 33s a game. I really do, especially with this roster. Like bombs away from Gainesville FL. Um, <laughs> would it be better if it was bombs away from Atlanta GA? Shout out to the Braves. But, um, you know, I think, man, you know, I, I'm excited to see – especially like this five out offense where then they get a lot of cutters and there's a lot of stuff actually going on off the ball. Um, a little more, the offense does look a little different, a lot more off ball movement, a little less pick and roll, which makes sense. Cause you know, I'm not sure beyond Tyree Appleby, we don't really know who's going to be very masterful in the pick and roll. And even Tyree Appleby is not going to be the assassin that Trey man was in the pick and roll. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I think more, Eric. Yeah, it's totally fair. I mean, that the number sounds so low that what they hit last year, um, only doing you know seven points or sorry six point four, and uh, the year before was seven point one. So it's just kind of interesting. Like those those numbers sound kind of so low, but uh, they they have been kind of lower numbers. And I, I thought maybe I could get you on again, kind of the talk that Chris Harry has kind of said multiple times on Twitter and in his writing that he doesn't think this is a very good three point shooting team. So I thought maybe you would, you know, I, maybe I could get you on the, the, the under on that number because I'm over as well. So this is a streak of questions we have been, been on the same, same wavelength for, but uh, I I'm, I'm with you. I think this is a good shooting team. Who's going to put them up. So I think that number will be over. Um, the next question, I mean, talking about overreacting to exhibitions, um, a player that I've been overreacting to is Patrick Baldwin Jr. at Milwaukee, who has looked incredible um, in Milwaukee's exhibitions. Um, so the Gators get to see him. Um, for those of you who don't know, a five-star who is, you know, picking between any team in the country he wanted. I think he was down to um, Milwaukee, where his dad coaches, and Duke, and he chose to play for his dad. So this is a legitimate one-and-done um, forward, stretch forward, tremendous shooter, um, NBA body, um, just a tremendous looking player that the Gators are going, going to see. Um, so his point total against the Gators, I'm setting the over under at 16.5. Um, <laughs> I bet you weren't ready for this question. Uh, you know, 
no, Patrick Junior points. <laughs> I really wasn't. So I'm going over. Um, let me plug the Brian Hamilton piece at the Athletic on Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, Duke UNC or Dad is what it's titled, <laughs> and um, just spectacular. Really makes you like the kid. Seems like a guy that's got just a terrific head on his shoulders. That's not a program that has no history. Uh, it's a pretty decent mid-major program. A lot of Florida fans will remember um, that there was a two-year period where Bruce Arena got – or Bruce Arena. Good job. That's the soccer manager that failed to get the U.S. to the World Cup, and he's far less sweaty than Bruce Pearl, who coached at Milwaukee and uh, took them to the Sweet 16 and then to the second round the following year where they were ousted by Joe Kim Noah uh, and his band of immortals on their way to their first NCAA championship. So there's some history uh, at that program, um, but not enough to where they had their own practice facility, although they will apparently by January go into their own practice facility. So right now they share a multi-purpose gym, which is a strange place for a lottery pick. Uh, what won't be a strange place for a lottery pick is at Zach Tech Arena uh, in a couple weeks because Florida doesn't have anyone that can guard him. So he's going to get his. I do think Florida will win that game, but it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's fantastic. I'm going to go under for no real reason. other Like I just said how good I think he is. I just think, you know, hopefully the Gators <laughs> are loading up against him and you know, you just see them find a way. And, and, and again, he is a, he's a shooter and an incredible shooter. So there's always the chance that he goes cold. So there, I, I mean, I set the over at 16.5, he could score 26 um, very easily. So uh, just something to, uh, for us to look forward to extra in that game. We can look at Patrick Baldwin Jr.'s points total for, uh, you know, our over-unders game. Um, let's do another player over-under. So in three matchups last year, Scotty Pippen Jr. averaged 24.3 points against the Gators. Um, I would say that the Gators probably have a couple more defensive options to throw at them this year than last year, um, but they're going to play them at least twice. So I'll say Scotty Pippen Jr.'s average points per game against the Gators this year, the over-under is 19.5. Oh, man, that is a tough one. So, you know what? I'm going to go over just because... I think one of these games, he just goes off. So if you aggregate it, like maybe one game, they slow him down a little bit. And um, if if that's possible, but another game, he drops like 30, 31 and Memorial gym or something. Um, so I'll go over Eric. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, when I, when I averaged out its point total, I was surprised it was only 24.3 um, over those three games. I thought he went off, you know, three times. So I thought the, I thought it was going to be like, you know, 27 points, but so that's kind of why I kind of guessed around the 19.5 number. I'm going to say under again, just like, I don't, I'm just trying to add some variation here at the same time. I do think that Vanderbilt's a little bit better this year, still not an NCAA tournament team, sadly, but I think that they'll have a couple more options. So maybe he just doesn't have to be, doing everything this year so i'll say under and i feel not confident about it whatsoever um here's another over under for you mike white technical fouls over under push potential one i'm going over i don't know if we saw just a new you know a new man mike white last year or if it was just that particular team um and kind of 
fiercely being fiercely protective of his guys after everything they had been through um, last year. And just, I think it, my Mike has said, everybody was a little more emotional and on edge, um, but I'm going to go over, I'm going to go over. The other thing I think is Mike is now, while not the Dean of SEC coaches, uh, you know, Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes and white are all in their same year at their institution. And then there's Calipari. Um, so I think when you, look at those four guys as being kind of, I think Ben Hallen, maybe too. There's five guys that have kind of been in the league together for a while. Mike feels a little more comfortable working officials now, but also, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you work officials a little more, you get one in a bad mood. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to push and say he gets exactly one. Um, again, this, no real method to, to guessing this one. I just got this is a great like, one. No, this is a great one. <laughs> this is going to be fun because man, the moment he does pick up that first one, I, you know, or again, maybe he has zero, but you know, if the moment he gets one, it's going to be stressful times for me, hoping he, he doesn't. Get second. <laughs> I, I kind of just think like, for lack of a better term, I just like think this team is going to be older and therefore Mike White is going to be like less annoyed generally. And again, I know that, technical fouls has more to do with refereeing than your own players. But I just think he might, he might just be able to be in a little different mindset when he's not like has, doesn't have to worry about as many 18 and 19 year olds screwing up. And, and then the ref makes a bad call and then you get livid at him. could be different. I do also know that, you know, like this is going to be a physical team with uh, Brandon McKissick and Flanders Fleming and CJ Felder and some of the returning guys. So that could def that could make for some elevated temper kind of games. So maybe that leads to more. That would be one of the the ways I could see him go over, but I'm just going to push and it'll be funny if he gets one technical and we're talking about on the podcast, will he get another one? Um, another one with push potential, um, Florida's sec finish. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit different than the, uh, than the preseason pool. I'm going to say better or worse than sixth. Okay. So I just did. Well, I'm still writing some of them, but I'm part of the Saturday Down South Hoops previews, guys. Um, and I had Florida fifth. So I will go better. I wanted to pick them fourth to get the double buy in Tampa. Like I really just thought so, so hard about like, how can I get Florida to fourth place? Like I, I just wasn't totally sure how I was going to do that with Tennessee, who I picked to win the league. And again, being in the middle of a move when I got the media day ballot, I have once again gave Eric Fawcett no say when he's the one who should be filling these things out. Um, so, yeah, it was like Tennessee, Kentucky, because I think they're going to be older and better. And then I was like, how do I get Florida to fourth in a world where there's Alabama, Arkansas, and Auburn? <laughs> And the Gators, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. So fifth, Eric. So that bet better than your question, but no double buy. Yeah, there's very little value when the over-under is six, saying better, I think. But I'm going to do it with you. I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to finish fifth. And uh, again, that just that leaves so little value in this over-under of sixth. But I just think they're going to be better. So let's roll with it. Um, I, I think this team's going to be good. Uh, Neil, I'm actually also going to maybe just fill this one in without asking you. Let's do this one pretty quickly. It would have been more interesting had you said worse, but I'm going Florida NCAA tournament seed over under of six. Push potential. Yeah, I'm going to push. Okay. Um, I, think, I think they're 6-11 type team, which would put them in the top 25, by the way. And I think people would be 
pretty pleased to have a team in the top 25 during the regular season. I also think the SEC has the potential to be the best league in college basketball this year, which I know is a little bit of a hot take, but I really like the ACC. Um, but I also wonder if maybe the top end of the SEC is a little bit better than the top end of the ACC until we see Paulo Banchero and AJ Griffin and all those guys play like, yeah, like Duke looks really good on paper, but they have for six years and they haven't gotten out of the elite eight. And that was the year they had Zion. I don't want to go down an ACC rabbit hole on this podcast for our listeners, but like, then I compare other leagues and I'm like, man, this might be the best league. Like there's eight teams I could see making the NCAA tournament from the SEC, Eric. Yeah, once again, I feel like there's not much value in uh, saying better on this number, but I'm doing it anyways. I'm going to say that they're going to be a five seed. <laughs> so again, this leaves very little uh, room for, for value, but I'm doing it. I think they're going to be a five seed. And I do think that, like we both kind of said, that we think that the uh, the the Gators are going to be fifth in the SEC. I, I just think that with the way the league is this year, I think that fifth in the SEC is going to be good enough for, for fifth in the NCAA tournament. And I honestly think it might be like, I think it might be, closer to being worth the fourth seat than the sixth seat almost i'm not i'm not suggesting i i don't think the gators could get up to fourth being being fifth in the sec but i i think it is possible so uh that's that's both me thinking the gators are good also me thinking the sec is really good um this next one could be uh pretty interesting uh kwasi reeves points per game over under eight all right so i'm gonna go under um, I think it'll be closer to about six and a half, seven. Uh, and I think what will happen on that is I think Kowasi's a guy who they'll they'll ease in as Mike White has done almost all his talented freshmen. I mean, even other than Nimhard, you know, those guys didn't start till January. Uh, so you had Andrew Nimhard starting, but I think Noah Locke got a spot start in December at some point. Keontae was the last one to start in that group. Um, but by the time they all started, it was mid-January. So, you know, I know that at times this summer I had predicted Kwasi Reeves to start games. And uh, it, I still think that that's something that maybe happens by March. But I don't know how much he plays early in the year. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I mean, Niles Lane got more minutes than him in the in the exhibition. I don't know if we want to read into that too much, but um, either that or they were tied or right next to each other. Like, it was very close. So, I think, you know, I don't know. It just seems like they, they had six, seven guys that played 20 or more, and then Kowasi was in that second group. Yeah, I'm realizing in this moment that I probably should have done Kwesi Reeves conference points per game. And then maybe that would have been a little bit more of an interesting question because I'm also going to go under just for the same reasons you mentioned. You also perfectly led into my next question. You mentioned Niles Lane. So here you go, Neil. Niles Lane minutes per game over under 12.5. Oh, that's such a – you really crushed that number. <laughs> like 12 in the exhibition. And I was like, they put him out there for 12 minutes, even though he didn't finish at the rim. And he like passed up an open three to drive into traffic. And, you know, I thought about it. Mark Wise thinks that they really want, for whatever it's worth, Mark Wise thinks that they really want him to play 15 minutes a night. Um, Cause he's so good at defense. Um, you know, and it's good. It was refreshing that like 
other people that aren't Eric Fawcett and Neil Blackman see this. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go under just because I haven't seen it offensively yet. And I'm like, Missouri, call me the show me state on Niles Lane. Like, dude, I want you to play so bad. You've got to score. You've got to score points. Yeah, I thought I might be able to get you on that one. I actually didn't look at the point total or the minute total for uh, the exhibition. So it's interesting that it was right at 12 because I, I wrote this one before the exhibition a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, I, I already would have said under. And I think looking at the exhibition to read into it for whatever it's worth, I'm going to go under as well. Um, the next couple are just going to be player names, um, not over-unders. So, Neil, pretty straightforward here. Who will be Florida's leading scorer? You know, I've gone back and forth on this, trying to – I saved my Florida preview on Saturday down south for last. Mm. And, like, I was debating whether or not I could name someone that wasn't Colin Castleton best player in the preview. And I actually – for those of you who need to be behind the fourth wall, even texted Eric on Tennessee because I was going through the same thing with them. And I'm like, is it just Sia Jordan James? Is he their best player? Like they have a lot of good players. Um, now, I don't think Florida's best player will be its leading scorer. Uh, I, I will I will add that. But I think it's going to be Tyree Appleby, Eric. Uh, even if he's a sixth man, I think he will be by one or two points. Florida's leading scorer. And for no other reason than we just saw with Myron Jones, you know, a two-point performance in an exhibition where he goes over six from the floor. Uh, and then I don't think we can count on Brandon McKissick to shoot 60% from downtown uh, <laughs> every night. Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Appleby. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, I think we also just saw with him ending up with the most minutes. It's and even again, like I'm pretty sure he's going to be starting here pretty quick. I just, I can't see it not. And I understand energy off the bench or whatever, but it just became so apparent as soon as Appleby got into the game, why we all think he was starting and while, why every conversation we had about who's going to be the starting five was Appleby in it. I think he just kind of proved that and will continue to do so. I will say, I'm going to say Colin Castleton. And I don't think that Colin Castleton is going to have a massive year, but I just think he's the safest to pencil in at like, Again, I don't know what point total I'm going to predict for him, but I'll, I'll say like 14 points per game because there's just games where he's going to be quiet and he's still going to have 12 points a game just off dump off passes and offensive rebounds and running the floor. And then, you know, he gets one a post up here, there. He hits a three here, there. I, I just think he's someone who is like going to have pretty even point totals. And I think that Appleby, who would have been my second choice, I just think he's going to be someone who's, you know, just naturally as a shooter and, and, or, the, and I mean, there's also going to be games where I think Appleby's going to have nine points, but he's going to have eight assists and he's going to be the best player on the floor. And like you said, best player and high score, are certainly not the same thing. Um, speaking of Myron Jones and his 0 for 6, I, I did think it was funny in the post game um, where, you know, Mike White said something along the lines of like, oh, Myron, Myron Jones doesn't have those nights too often. So we're not concerned. And I was kind of thinking like, well, he does have those nights off in, but you shouldn't be concerned. <laughs> so it's funny because I, again, that's, I, I, I think it's kind of funny that after, you know, I had mentioned to many times over on the podcast and writing that like Myron Jones is an incredibly streaky shooter and always has been. So you've just got to live and die with his, you know, he's going to have over six nights and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if against Elon, he goes five for six. So he is going to have those nights, but it was just funny to me to, to hear Mike White say like, Oh, I don't like, he doesn't really have those nights very often. And so he's not concerned. It's like, no, don't be concerned, but he does have those nights. Um, leading into this next question, though, speaking of Myron Jones, off nights and on nights, um, who will lead Florida in three-point percentage? 
And I'll also say there has to be like, I don't know what the threshold is, but if like, you know, CJ Felder is seven for, you know, 18 or whatever, and has a ridiculous, that, that, that won't count. I don't know what the threshold will be, but you know, we'll be, we'll be gentlemen about it. Yeah. So I'm going to go Brandon McKissick. And I think it was funny that I'm with you on the, the Chris Harry comment that this isn't like a very good shooting team. Like I think part of the reason like Colin Castleton, for example, is a great pick for Florida's leading scorer is I do think Florida, especially if they're going to move off the ball more, if there's going to be more space for Colin to operate underneath um, in, and you saw it a little bit in the second half of this game, when Florida did knock down the shots, defense is extended. Colin had more room to operate and could put the ball on the floor. I'd like him to be a little more decisive. That'll come, um, you know, but I think it also opens the lane. We saw Flanders Fleming after they started making him sort of do whatever he wanted to get to the basket. And yes, it's D2 team, but it's still nice to see how easy it was for him to kind of get right to the rim. Uh, so a lot of that stuff operates off other things, but that's not really responsive to your question. It's just kind of a, why I think Colin Castleton is a good pick. I'm just going to go with McKissick on career numbers. A um, little bit better than, than Myron Jones, kind of surprising to people, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think if he gets around 40 and Myron's at like 39, five, that wouldn't surprise me, but we'll say, we'll say McKissick edges it out. Uh, yeah, I, I want to say Tyree Appleby, but I just think he's going to have a few too many late clock kind of bailout threes because I think he's just going to be the guy on the Gators to do that. So I I, I think that Ty Appleby by the end might be like Florida's best three-point shooter, um, but I think his percentages won't be as good as Brandon McKissick, who I think will get a lot of those um, ball gets rotated. him Like, like against Embry-Riddle, he shot wide open threes. And he did exactly. I, you know, some people on the podcast will remember. Right as soon as he committed, I pointed out that his his uh, his wide open three percentage was just ridiculous last year at UMKC. He just didn't get those opportunities very often. So what do we see against Henry Riddle? He gets wide open threes and he drills them. So I think he's just going to have those opportunities, and I think he'll be a forty percent three point shooter and lead the Gators. Um, who do you think is going to lead the team in steals? So that's a tougher one because I do think Tyree Appleby kind of baits people into stuff. And so it's, it's definitely very tempting to, to pick um, Tyree in that category, Eric, you know, I think it just, we saw, we saw a little of it in, in the exhibition and, you know, it wouldn't stun me uh, last year. He was second to Scotty Lewis uh, in that category. So I think, you know, we'll see. Um, but I'm going to go with McKissick on that category as well. Uh, just, I think he's a fundamentally sound defender. Uh, I also think that like Kayvon Allen, he's going to get a lot of steals based on his ability to just body people up and Mm. play physical. Um, and his size makes it a little easier for him to play up physical on someone without worrying about the basketball, uh, movement and cylinder type foul situations that thinner players sometimes run into. So I think he gets some of those uh, steals kind of in that mono mono combat. Maybe he edges out Tyree Appleby, who's who's the guy that's going to make the thrilling steal in the open floor and also attempt to make the steal and cost Florida like a huge rotation problem when he misses. <laughs> 
Yeah, I also think, too, that there's just more of an opportunity to get steals playing off the ball as an off guard. And I think that Appleby's going to be guarding a point guard a little bit more often. And McKissick will be yeah. away from the ball where he can use use those skills that you laid out. So McKissick is a pretty good choice. But I still think I'm going to go Appleby. Um, I just think, again, if you, you, the way he baits guys into steals and the way he... I also kind of think that the Gators, like we started to see this maybe a little bit last year. And I think that the Gators might embrace it a little bit more where they're, they're going to be gambling a little bit more and, and trying to get those, those, those points in transition that way. So I, I think we'll see Appleby just continue to gamble. I think it's going to be a very close race between the two. Um, who is your pick for Florida's defensive player of the year, which again, we will have to establish by, you know, consensus or maybe a, maybe a poll, but I I'm guessing by the end of the season, we'll have uh we'll have an answer that you and me both agree on. Well, I, I was going to think it was, you know, you know what, I'm just going to do it. This will give us a, a different answer. I'm sure. Um, I'm just going to not let one exhibition game where I freaked out a little bit steer me away from what I thought all summer. So I'm going to go CJ Felder. Wow. 50th, 50th in the country last year in block rate. Um, just a tenacious rebounder. Um, a guy that had an incredible like box plus minus considering that Boston college was just a hot mess. I think if he plays alongside Castleton who actually was better in block rate, uh, it will either allow him to kind of clean up Castleton blocks, pick up some statistical numbers that way, or people will have to pick their poison and they might just go right at CJ Felder. Like I have this image of, of why that rotation is so enticing to me. Please play it, Mike. Um, so I'm going CJ Felder destined to give Eric a point for the board here. Well, that was definitely not the answer I was expecting. And it may make for an interesting debate later in the season if Felder plays 16 minutes a game and those minutes are excellent versus like a Colin Castleton who maybe plays 30 and, you know, is blocking shots. Or, But I, I'm not going to go Castleton. I'm going to go with Flanders Fleming. I, I just think it's kind of easier for kind of wing players to – like if we look at most games that, that Fleming has had the toughest defensive assignment, he's getting steals, he's someone that's obviously trusted – and the other thing is if Florida continues to be not very good at pick and roll defense, again, I think a lot of that is going to have to do with scheme, but I think you might, even though scheme is part of it, I think that might be a hole that you could poke in someone like a Con Castleton's candidacy. So, so I'm going to go Flanders Fleming and uh, just kind of, kind of see where it goes. I just think you, when you look at like, again, a lot of modern basketball, those, those defensive wings are, are, are players that, that, get a lot of shine defensively for for kind of the right reasons so i think i might even be able even you know if this comes down to a poll or a narrative standpoint i think there could be some momentum for for fleming but i love your felder answer and it could very well end up being castleton and we could both not get a point and uh, that would be all right because i love your boldness so neil last we have four more questions i know the podcast is getting long yeah, this is a slight, slightly new category here so i didn't come up with a name for it i'll call it closest to so i'm going to say a category you're going to say a number and i'm going to say a number and whoever is going to be whoever's closer to it is going to get the point so these are four categories where one of us will be getting a point unless i guess hypothetically we could tie so i could say like again the 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 total would be like like so that for example it could be like you know colin castleton blocks on the season and you say 60 and i say 80 and the number is 62 so you would you would get that point that would be an example that's not a question so uh, closest to 
Florida's biggest margin of victory in SEC play. You don't have to say the opponent. You just have to say the, the margin of victory. I like this one. I'm going to go 20. And just for fun, do you have a team you think that, that Florida's going to? Yep. I'm going to look at the schedule real quick and tell you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to look at the schedule and tell you who they beat by 20. It's going to, this is going to be chicken soup for the Gator fan's soul. But seeing how Florida just annihilated ball reversal defense the other night with beautiful ball reversals, I say it's a 20 point victory over Frank Martin and the Gamecocks. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I, I'm going to make a note of that. I, it doesn't need to be right, but just when we revisit that, um, I just want to make a note of that on my almighty Google Doc. Um, that's pretty interesting just because, again, like we're, we are seeing – we'll have this conversation after Elon where we get to see more of their offense, but it's it's clear that Florida is, is spacing more out, doing five out at times, and that's conducive to ball movement. But just going to be so interesting with South Carolina, who will try to deny those ball reversals so aggressively. Um, Florida State will as well. To see kind of like will Florida's offense that's structured about beating that, or will their defense that's structured taking taking that away? Um, you know who will win that? Um, I don't have a team in mind. I'm just going to go. I, I, I'm going to go much higher. I'm going to go 29 points. And I just, I, I can't even tell you what team I think it's going to happen to. I just know that there's like a weird game, like where you're missing players and the Gators end up going and hammering Tennessee. Just that I, I think there'll just be an unexpected kind of game like that. And I also think that again, just with the way basketball works, there, there's just going to be games that get the that Florida is really leading by like 12 or 15 for most of the second half. And it just, you know, basketball games can kind of balloon and it might not tell the whole story of the game, but I think the Gators will just, you know, dominate someone. Um, so closest to again, Florida's biggest margin of defeat in SEC play. Ooh, good one. Um, let me look again. I'm looking at the schedule, and ah, there it is, like a beacon in the night. January 26th, Thompson Bowling Arena. Sandwiched right in between. I'm even giving people an opponent. Sandwiched right in between a big home win over Vanderbilt and the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Florida goes up to Knoxville on a cold night in January and gets clobbered. I'm going to say 20 in that as well. Okay. okay. I'll be honest with you as well, Neil. I found out like, you know, 20 minutes ago on this podcast that my Ken Palm subscription actually expired. I need to, I need to re-up my Ken Palm. So I was trying to look at the schedule and there's other ways to look at the schedule, but I'm just so accustomed to looking at Ken Palm during the podcast. <laughs> so, I, so part of it is me just going off vibes and you actually intelligently looking at, at, you know, where's a trap game. Um, I, that number is pretty good. I went much higher on the margin of, of victory. I, I'm, I'm going to go less on the margin of defeat, just kind of thinking that this is a team that will keep games a little bit closer, but I want to leave some, uh, you know what? I'm going to go 18 points. I know that that's really close to you. So it's, this is a, this is a little bit of a, that, that might've been a little bit of a, that's all Price's good. Right maneuver. Yeah. Again, I should have added this. This doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be, you know, under. So I won't go one point, but I'll go 18. And uh, just kind of, again, <laughs> I'm not looking at the schedule, unfortunately, to find out um, what game I think that could be. But again, it's just uh, 
there's really good teams in the SEC, and there's probably four or five or even six that could give Florida, you know, that not that I think they're that, that much better than the Gators, but just on a night where they're playing well, could could do that because that's a good the SEC is. Um, let's do another closest to highest single game point total by a Florida player. Um, again, you don't have to say the player, just the point total. I'm going 30. And I'm doing it because I trust our guys at three man weave. And I was hearing them saying like, Hey, you know, it's his fourth year of college basketball and he's not just a three point shooter. He's kind of a guy who can make a creative layup. Uh, he's a guy that can make a, a creative floater that makes you shake your head and say, why did he shoot that shot? So I think midnight Jones is going to go for 30 one night when he's, wow. when he's, when he's feeling it. I, I love it. I, I, I mean, I, that's a great answer. Um, I'm going to go 26. I think that the way that the team is just so balanced, I just, I don't know if anyone's going to have to great explode point. sadly. And, and I, and I will, I know I didn't say names for the other, I, I'll say a name and I think it's going to be Castleton. And again, I think it'll be Castleton on a night where he, you kind of look up at halftime and he's got 14 points and you don't really realize it because he just got a couple dump off passes from Tyree Appleby, a couple offensive rebounds. He, ran in transition and got some layups. So I, I think he's going to, it'll be like Castleton in like a quiet 26 kind of point game. So, um, but I, I love Jones because I do think there will, well, hmm. Oh, I'm thinking your answer is really good because I truly believe there's going to be a game where he hits, you know, seven threes this, this season. So, I mean, if he hits seven threes, like I really think he's going to do one game. And then, like you said, adds a couple layups, you know, gets fouled a couple times. Oh, he could be a guy. I think he might've actually found something really intelligent there. Neil. And that would be a deserved point for you if you're if you're right. Or, but I mean, again, we didn't even have to say the player, just the point total. But I, I hope if it is a thirty point total or higher, it is Jones. I, so I really think he's the only one that could get to thirty. By the way, like I there's think, something magical about that number. <laughs> like I just can't see like like maybe Tyree Appleby. Like maybe if he's just unconscious one night. But even then, what'll happen is they'll come out and guard him, and, and then he'll become a distributor. I think. So he kind of gets limited at like 22, 24. And like, I don't know if Castleton could, maybe, I guess Colin, maybe if he shot a ton of free throws, right? Yeah. I just think he has the ability, just the way he plays to just have like, again, like I, I called it a quiet 26 when I said 26. And <laughs> just again, again, a game where it just like, doesn't feel like he's playing awesome necessarily, but then you just look and say, oh, he's got, you know, 21 points. Like, I mean, I think he had that against, um, like against Vanderbilt, against LSU. He had a couple 20 point games where I don't even think we were really talking about him as like, Oh wow. He really dominated that game. It was just like, you know, you're a big man with good hands and you run the floor. You're, you're going to find some of those points. So I, I think Castleton could, could do it, but um, especially yeah. to add in now that he's going to take a couple of threes, maybe he just goes two for three from the three point line and chips in a couple there. But I, I, I know what you're saying about the perimeter players. I, I think Jones would be right. definitely the like most Kevin Allen going for 33 against Duke. <laughs> and you're just like the hell did that come from yeah just like one good half <laughs> this is the last question uh closest to highest single game point total by an opposing player so i want to go i want to go scotty pippen and i've already said like three times that Florida's beating florida state this year so i'm not going caleb mills but i am gonna knock on wood and go outside dance around three times and spit um, when the podcast is over, because I just like have these hard 
these horror movie dreams about Caleb Mills being like the AAC player of the year version of Caleb Mills and not like zombie Caleb Mills from last year who like played five games and was like, I can't play. Um, gosh, it's tough, Eric. You know what? Let's just stick with Scottie Pippen Jr. And, and, oh, is it you want to <laughs> I get, You just see the number. I love that you're going over and uh, over and like with just all this, like the just rattling them around in my head. Yeah. So yeah, I, which yeah. I love, but you, we just, we just need a point total. So, okay. So yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 28. 28 to Scotty Pippen. I, I love that. Again, I don't even have a player in mind. I realize now that like, I mean the, well, the natural answer is of course, Scotty Pippen, especially when he has two chances to play the Gators, um, maybe a third in the SEC tournament. So that's at least two opportunities for him to easily put up 28. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 25. I, again, I I can't say Scotty Pippen because I think that would skew the average. And I said earlier that I think the Gators will somehow keep him under. But you know, and I, I also said under for Patrick Baldwin. It's very possible that Patrick Baldwin could do it. And um, again, once again, the SEC just loaded with talent this year. So there's a number of guys that that could do it. So uh, I don't have a name in mind. So Neil gets way extra bonus points for not only giving a number but putting a team and player onto to each of those closest two categories but i'll go 25 and go a little bit under hope that the gators can just you know throw multiple guys at some of these perimeter options and and see what happens but neil that is our uh that is our over unders slash better or worses slash pick the player slash closest to for the 2021 2022 season love it man yeah no i i was that's so i'm so glad you did the points because i was kind of like one of our roundtable discussions is like the players you're looking forward to seeing the most. So I'm trying to like rattle off them in my head. Yeah. I'm, like, oh. I'm like CJ Nolan. Like one that would have been good would be like who scores more against Florida, CJ Nolan or Patrick Baldwin Jr. Like just because like you know that Porter Moser isn't going to care. So he's just going to throw CJ Nolan out there and just be like, dude, do your thing. And that game's in Mormon and it's in December, whereas like Baldwin has to come to like at Zach Tech Arena in like his third game. Okay, um, well, let's we're we're adding it to the list. What's your answer? Are we add it? Should we do that oh, one? For sure. Let's do that I, one. So, so you got C.J. Noland, or do you have Patrick Baldwin Jr.? I mean, I've got to go Nolan because I already said that Patrick <laughs> Nolan. I already said that the Gators are to keep <laughs> Patrick Baldwin Jr. under sixteen. So I kind of I, I want to keep my guesses somewhat consistent and try to try to stack here a little bit. So um, I've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go that way. But I'm interested in what you think. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go um, I'm gonna go Nolan too, even though okay. I went over a Like I think Nolan's gonna get like 21 or 22 against Florida, but I also think it's like like that's one that could like look really nice on Florida's resume by the end of the year. And Mike White's been good on the road at Florida. Like they play well on the road, and getting Porter Moser in Oklahoma like early in the year while they're still figuring out what they are is so fortunate. Like it's really fortunate that that's not the SEC Big Twelve Challenge game, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before, and I will say it once again, just so we are very, very clear. Uh, Porter Moser, I think, is the best schematic coach in, in college basketball. I think he is fantastic. I'm so happy. Well, I'm terrified that the Gators are playing him. I, I, if the Gators are to play him, it's good that it's this year and his, his first year in Oklahoma. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think he is so, so good. So um, that game excites me and, and terrifies me, but. Uh, I think he's going to do so good there and uh, not looking forward to when they're in the, well, again, looking forward and not looking forward to them being in the SEC. And uh, 
seeing Porter Moser a whole bunch, but they did really well to hire him. So I, I it, so, so Patrick Baldwin and Oland is, is, is on the board. Of course, we both <laughs> said the same answer. So uh, no, no points will be changed in the score total, but we did add it to the list. So we, it'll be another like one it. to revisit after the season. Well, great show. Um, Eric, a lot of fun to do over and unders get you really juiced for the, the season. I am, I talked to very, very briefly about Elon at the end of the last pod with Mark Wise from like minute 21 to 27. Um, I made debut our Twitter spaces uh, Tuesday morning uh, and, and just kind of get the juices flowing with people. And maybe I'll talk a little bit more about Elon and, uh, and, and I guess they're the Phoenix now, not the fighting Christians. <laughs> they have switched their nickname. Um, but uh, we'll we'll get into that on the next show, so we don't drive people crazy with more than seventy five minutes. But um, thank you all for listening, and and Eric and I are looking forward to uh, the season and keep attacking closeouts.